The following introduction was written by Increase May 3rd to the book, A Guide to Christ by Solomon Stoddard, to the reader, that preparation for Christ is necessary before the soul can be united to him by faith is an undoubted truth. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Men must be convinced of their being sinners, or they will never be in bitterness for it. Sin must be bitter to them, or they will not forsake it. As long as they love their sins, it is impossible that they should believe on Christ, John 5, verse 44. Nor will they come to Christ for righteousness and life, except they have an humbling sins of their own unrighteousness, Romans 10, 3. These are truths that cannot be denied. But whether there is any preparatory work which is saving before faith has been controverted among divines. My learned tutor, whom for honor's sake I mentioned, John Norton, once a famous teacher in Boston and his orthodox evangelist, has elaborately proved a negative, with whom the worthy author of the ensuing discourse concurs. It has been an error and a tyrannical one in some preachers that they have made their own practical experiences a standard for all others. Whereas God is pleased to use a great variety in bringing his elect home to Christ, Although conversion is to the substance of it is the same in all that are brought into a state of salvation, some have experienced such tears and distress of conscience as others have not been acquainted with, who nevertheless are true believers on Christ. To that question, what measure of preparatory work is necessary to conversion, John Norton answers judiciously. As the greatest measure has no necessary connection with salvation, so the least measure puts a soul into a preparatory capacity or ministerial disposition next to the receiving of Christ. There is not the like degree of humiliation in all those that are converted, for some feel a greater measure of trouble, others a lesser. But all that are truly converted are humbled. Nor can it be determined how long a man must be held under fears and tears before he is truly converted. To affirm that men must be so many years or months under a spirit of bondage before they can believe on Christ is contrary to the experience of many pious souls and to the scriptures. The preparatory work of the converts mentioned in the sacred writings was not of a long continuance. It supereminent divine... Dr. Thomas Goodwin observes that a man may be held too long under John the Baptist's water, and that some have urged too far and insisted too much on that as preparatory, which includes the beginning of true faith. Such authors as have asserted that men cannot be sincere converts except they have been some considerable time under great legal tears caused groundless fears and perplexity in the minds of many gracious souls for the relief of whom Reverend Giles Furman published an excellent book entitled The Real Christian. Very often the children of godly parents who have had a religious education and been kept from all scandalous sins that wound and waste to conscience have been favored with an easy as well as with an early conversion. The seed of grace has sprung up in their hearts they know not how. Matthew 4, verse 27, So if that, although they can say, as a blind man restored to his sight, did, one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see, yet the particular time they cannot account for. It is, says Mr. Norton, our duty to bless God that we are converted, and not groundlessly to afflict ourselves about the time of our conversion. And he cites Mr. Pimble, whose words are, To tell the month, day or hour, 
in which they were converted is in most converts impossible. In all of exceeding difficult observation, though I do not deny that the time may be in some of sensible mark. That eminent man of God, Mr. Richard Baxter, relates that he was once at a meeting of many Christians as eminent for holiness as most in the land, of whom a number of them were ministers of great fame. And it was desired that every one of them would give an account of the time and manner of his conversion, and there was but one of them all that could do it. And, says he, I aver from my heart, that I neither know the day nor the year when I began to be sincere. Nevertheless, for the most part, they that have been great sinners are not converted without dreadful tears of conscience. Our great Thomas Hooker, of whom Dr. Goodwin says that if any man in this age came in the spirit of John the Baptist, Thomas Hooker was the man, says this doctrine will be found a sad truth, namely that as for gross and scandalous sinners, God usually exercises them with heavy breakings of heart before they are brought to Christ especially if it is so, if the Lord intends to make use of them in great services for his name. Saul, afterwards Paul, had a terrible conversion, although he was not long in the pangs of the new birth. The like has been noted of Luther, famous John Rogers of Dedham, had been very extravagant in his youth. Mr. Richard Rogers of Wethersfield, who was his kinsman, helped to maintain him at the university, where he sold his books and spent the money so that his kinsman and patron would have utterly cast him off, had not the entities of a near relation prevailed with him to try him once again. When he saw what a wonderful change converting grace had made on his young kinsman, he would often say, I will never despair of a man. For John Rogers' sake, God designed that this very ungodly youth should be made a great instrument of glory to his name and of good to many of his elect. He was not bruised to no purpose under the hand of the Almighty. Great were the tears of his soul for some time when he would get alone under bushes in the field, praying and crying unto God for mercy. When he was converted into thought, he was an instrument of converting more souls than any one minister in England. He was inspired with extraordinary zeal. He had a way of delivering himself and his sermons, which in any other man would have been ridiculous, but in him it was very becoming and awful, which made Bishop Browning say to Mr. Ward, John Rogers will do more with his wild note than we shall do with all of our set music. But this is God's usual method. With such of his elect as have fallen into great sins, he brings them home by great terrors. For the confirmation of this, I met of instance Mr. Bolton, whose excellent books have made him famous in the church of God. Before his conversion, he was very wicked. He loved stage plays, cards, and dice, was a horrible swearer, Sabbath breaker, a boon companion that neither loved God nor good men. He hated puritanical preaching. Hearing the fame of William Perkins, he went to Cambridge to hear him preach. And had been heard him said, he was a barren, empty fellow and a passing, mean scholar. This man, after his conversion, was an eminent saint and a successful minister of Jesus Christ. But the manner of his conversion was terrible. His sins were so heavy upon him that he roared for anguish of heart, and would sometimes rise out of his bed in the night for anguish of spirit. And to augment his misery, he was afflicted with grievous temptations. 
These heart-piercing sorrows continued for many months they issued in a sound conversion. There have been some who maintain that a man is not sufficiently prepared for Christ except he be brought to that pass is out of respect to the will and glory of God to be content to be damned eternally. A horrid assertion, justly disclaimed by the author of this discourse and refuted by the orthodox evangelist. Yet, there are some unhappy passages of that nature in a book of humiliation which goes under Thomas Hooker's name, by which incredible wrong has been done to that great author. It may be, it will be to the satisfaction of some readers that, to see that Thomas Goodwin has written concerning Thomas Hooker's books about preparation for Christ, who in his epistle prefix to Mr. Hooker's sermon on Acts 2, verse 37, has these words, quote, There has been published long since many parts and pieces of this author upon this argument, sermon-wise, preached by him here in England, yet having been taken by the unskillful hand, who upon his recess into these remoter parts of the world was bold without his privity or consent. To print and publish them is one of the greatest injuries that can be done to any man. It came to pass that his genuine meaning and points of so high a nature, and in some things different from the common opinion, was delivered in those printed sermons different from the fair and clear draft of his own notions and intentions, because so utterly deformed and misrepresented in multitudes of passages, and in the rest, but imperfectly and crudely set forth. That which the doctor says is a sufficient vindication of the renowned name of Thomas Hooker from the reflections cast upon him, on account of some rude expressions in those books pretending to be his, which were never printed with his allowance. The like is to be said with reference to some passages in Thomas Shepard's work called The Sincere Convert, which had occasioned great disquietment in some godly minds and made them afraid to believe on Christ when deeply sensible of their misery without him. Concerning which book, Thomas Shepard, in a letter to Giles Furman, dated December 27, 1647, expresses himself thus, That which is called a sincere convert? I have not the book. I once saw it. It was a collection of such notes in a dark town in England, which one procuring of me published them without my will or privity, nor do I like to see it that published it confesses it came out altered from what it was when it was first written in quote. It is usual with new converts to be molested with fears lest they have committed a sin against the Holy Ghost. I am far from being of Dr. Tillotson's opinion who supposes that none in these days are, can be guilty of that sin, nor any besides those who were eyewitnesses of the miracles wrought by our Savior Jesus Christ. I rather concur with Dr. Callings, whose words are, Give me leave to speak my fears. I profess they are my thoughts that we live in an age as full of persons that have sinned that sin that shall never be forgiven, as any age ever was since our Lord was on the earth. Are there not many in our days who, having been once enlightened, have not only sinned against the light of their education, but have become malignant haters of those holy truths and ways of God in which they were initiated, and malicious persecutors of all such as profess a true and pure gospel? Do not such sin willfully after they have received a knowledge of the truth? And have they not done despite to the Spirit of grace? As for such as are troubled with groundless fears of their having been guilty of that sin, the reverend author of the discourse united herewith has in this offered that which may ease and satisfy their disquieted consciences. 
Richard Baxter, notwithstanding the dispute which he had been between him and Toombs, John Toombs, upon pedo-baptism, after that wrote a commendatory epistle before a learned book of Mr. Toombs against the Papists. It is known that in some points not fundamental in religion I differ from this beloved author. Nevertheless, as when there is a difference of opinion between Jerome and Augustine, Jerome said, For all that I cannot but love Christ and Augustine. So do I say concerning my brother, Solomon Stoddard. And I pray the Lord to bless this and all of its holy labors for the conversion and salvation of many of God's elect. Increase, Mather. Boston, November 15th, 1714.